because you know they're both small in proportion to with your sight until you get the right instrument to magnify them and then they become big and uh that's what we're going to look at today this microscopic world the bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made so as we think about the human body this fifth level of evidence it really becomes personal and special to us because it's talking about us and and it means so much to who we are that we are created by god it says you have created my inmost being in psalm 139 you knit me together in my mother's womb i'll praise you because i'm fearfully and wonderfully made when i was here on sunday recently i went on to talk about the difference between this and the evolutionary worldview that leads to things like abortion and euthanasia and and um, things of the devaluing human life the bible makes it clear that we're created in the image and the likeness of god and that we were each one of us fashioned and knit together in our mother's womb and that gives us value and purpose and the hope of eternal life and a relationship with god he knows us he knew us before we were ever born and when we look at our body we see evidence of that now i want to remind you we're not this is not to say that when we look at these things they absolutely prove that we're created and not evolved but what it does is it gives us confirming evidence that common sense continually will lead us to say it makes more sense to believe we're designed than to believe we're an accident because the enormity of the complexity and the, the, the wonder of the human body continues to scream at us that it fits perfectly with what we expect if God knit us together and fashioned us in our mother's womb. Think of the development of a, of a baby. That's a good place to start. We each started as one cell. Isn't that amazing to think of? Here we are sitting here with 100 trillion cells in our body, and we all started as one cell, a zygote, they call it. And all the genetic information from mom and from dad was there in that one cell. And in the next month, nine months, that one cell will multiply into trillions of cells. But here's the amazing thing, I think. It's not just multiplication. That's pretty amazing. But these cells will diversify into like 200 or more different types of cells heart cells skin cells brain cells blood cells all of these different types of cells and they'll each find their place and begin to function together as a unit and the body will be formed there in the mother's womb and we know it's really not unguided because god's there forming and fashioning us but if we didn't accept the biblical view of, of creation, we'd have to say all of this is happening without anybody guiding it and directing it. Think about this. This is a little baby. You, you, can, see the, uh, you can see the eyes. You can see the fingers there. The brain is developing. The liver is developing. You can see toes here. This baby is eight weeks old and only a half an inch tall and there's already that much distinct formation that we can identify it's an amazing thing nine months later a little baby will be born 
It happens every day, and we can begin to accept it as just normal and not think of the wonder of it all, but when you walk away from it just a little bit and start thinking about it every time a baby's born, it's a miracle. Dr. David Minton does a whole session on just the development of a baby, and he talks about miracle after miracle after miracle that occurs in order for a baby to be formed in a mother's womb. The human body is, is a machine, much like an automobile. An automobile has a fuel system and a, a cooling system and uh, all these different systems, an engine, an engine and a transmission, these particular parts that are needed for it to function. In the same way, the human body has systems that all have to be in place. Each one of them is absolutely amazing by itself. But remember, it's not by itself. They all have to function together. And so we have systems in our body that are coordinating things with one another. We'll look at a few of them. The skeletal system, 206 different bones. And I found this fascinating, that our bones, uh, they don't end with just bone on bone, but where they meet together, we have padding there, a cartilage, a piece of cartilage that means we don't have to have the rubbing of bone on bone unless we have some problems, and that's when you have to have surgery. But we also have different types of joints. Some of them are like ball and socket joints and hinge joints and pivot joints. All of these different joints, putting these bones together in just the right place, combining with the muscular system, 650 different skeletal muscles that are connected with tendons and ligaments so that now we have both structure and stability, but we have mobility. And so much of this we don't even think about. Now, I found myself, because I've been studying this in particular a lot the last two or three months, I find myself at times just beginning to think about what my hands are doing. Your muscles and your... Yeah, that, that's one of the greatest place of muscles and bones working together. And I found that, you know, when we pick things up and we're moving things around and we're controlling things and we're, you know, uh, uh, adjusting our pants or whatever, putting our glasses on, we're doing so many... We, matter of fact, you can't think of it very long and you, start, you forget to think about it because it's hap so much is happening with your hands continually. So many different types of movements. The sensitivity to be able to pick up a feather or a little tiny piece of dust, but the strength to be able to hold on to something that's extremely heavy. All of these things that we have that we take for granted, but when you just begin to think about it, it's marvelous. It's a system that's all functioning together for us to be able to live. The circulatory system, a highway system for all of our blood to flow, six quarts of blood, that travel through our body about three times per minute, about 12,000 miles a day. And this highway system, if you could take, some of these blood vessels are so small that, again, you need a microscope to see them, and if you could take them all out of your body and stretch them end to end, they would stretch out 60,000 miles, enough to go around the world two and a half times. You're a really big person, did you know that? And within, the, heart, within the, the circulatory system, of course, the central part of it's the heart. The heart has four chambers, and think about this. Each one of those chambers has a valve. Those valves have to be flexible enough to open and close 
in an average human's lifetime 2.5 billion times, but strong enough and durable enough to last for a lifetime. And the heart pumps enough blood in an average human's lifetime to fill a train of tanker cars 25 miles long. The greatest minds in the world have never been able to improve upon the design of the heart. Just think about that for a second. This heart that's supposed to be, by evolutionary standards, came there by an explosion and then random processes of mistakes, mutations, it developed into something that the greatest minds in the world cannot improve upon. Does that make more sense, or does it make more sense to say the greatest minds in the world cannot improve upon the heart because the greatest mind in the universe created the heart and designed it and made it? I believe that's what makes more sense. Amen? 20 to 30 trillion red blood cells traveling through this circulatory system. In about a four-month period, that a red blood cell lives about four months, and it will travel 250,000 times through your body. And then it'll return to the red marrow in your bones to die, where it was originally formed, to be recycled, where in this factory of red blood cell production, the red marrow of your bones is producing 100 billion new red blood cells every day. And none of us are fretting over it, are we? It's just there by God's design. The nervous system. The human body has an estimated 7 trillion nerves that span 65 to 90,000 miles of sensation. And some nerve cells carry messages at a speed of over 250 miles per hour. It's controlling things like causing your heart to beat 35 million times a year, your eyes to blink 10, 10 million times per year, your eyes, the pupils in your eyes to dilate, to contracting and relaxing of your bladder, stimulating stomach secretions, controlling saliva flow. These are just examples of the things that your nervous system is sending signals constantly throughout your body so that the other systems are functioning as they should. The central part of the nervous system, of course, is the human brain. Three pounds, but 100 billion neurons, believed by many to be the most sophisticated machine in the entire universe. Not only 100 billion neurons, but then uh, this synapse, synapses, it's pronounced different ways, different people that you, you uh, hear pronouncing it, 100 trillion of these, this is basically the connecting points between all of these neurons. 100 trillion of them in the human brain. These junctions, transmitting impulses. I tried to study a little bit further today about the brain, but it was straining my brain to try to listen. Uh, I mean, just everything, you know, when these signals are coming through your brain, it's not just simple. It's gates opening and closing, uh, sodium entering in and, and out and, and potassium entering in and out, creating electronic impulses that are, caught, that are stimulating things for, so that the brain's making decisions of what uh, active signals are sent through and which ones are not important enough to go through. Amazing, amazing things. One researcher estimates that with current technology, it would take 10,000 
automated microscopes 30 years to map the connections between every neuron in the human brain and 100 million terabytes of disk space to store the data in the human brain. You starting to feel smart? <laughs> that same article that that, came, that quote came from says that the human brain is more complex than an entire galaxy. The human brain processes about 100,000 bits of information every second. Now, we don't consciously think about that, do we? We're probably doing good if we think of three things per second. But aren't you glad your brain isn't dependent upon your conscious thought of everything that it's doing? Most of what it's doing, you never even think about. Like, for instance, your heart beating right now. I'm confident nobody is sitting there thinking, I'd really like to listen tonight, but I, I'm sorry, I just can't because I have to concentrate on telling my heart to beat every second or so. We don't have to think about it. The respiratory system. Obviously, the lungs are the central part of that, and that's, that's what enables us to bring in oxygen and take out carbon dioxide and exhale at every breath that we take. Well, the process involves these little sacs called alveoli sacs. We have 300 to 500 million of them in each lung. So obviously, they're extremely small. This is where you get, when you say, how could we possibly have that many blood vessels to go 60,000 miles? This is an example. These things are absolutely tiny, but they're covered with blood capillaries. And they share a membrane wall, the blood capillary and the alveoli sac, so that when you breathe in oxygen molecules, the, the molecules can pass through that membrane wall into the bloodstream. And at the same time, carbon dioxide molecules can pass into the sacs, and then you exhale them. Now think about this. The way the blood, or the way the oxygen molecules connect in the red blood cells is through a protein called hemoglobin. We've all heard of hemoglobin. What we don't know, usually, is that they believe that we have about 270 million hemoglobin proteins in every one of the 20 to 30 trillion blood cells that we have. And every one of those hemoglobin proteins have four connecting spots that, fit, that an oxygen molecule fits perfectly in. Does that look designed? So these red blood cells are like little rafts, and they come up into these capillaries, and they release carbon dioxide molecules through the membrane wall, and they pick up all this oxygen and carry it throughout the body. And that's the way respiratory works in the human body, along with a bunch of other fancy stuff. Another thing I love about the respiratory system, we've got all these safety, safety nets to keep bad stuff, dust particles and stuff, from getting down into our lungs and some of it's stuff that we don't talk about much, hair in our nose and mucus and stuff like that. It's all there for a good purpose. But stuff still gets down into our lungs a little bit, dust particles and that. But you and I have special proteins that that's all they do. They're like little vacuum cleaners walking around every moment of your life, cleaning, vacuuming up your lungs, any dust particles that get there so that you can live. Hallelujah. The digestive system. 
Now, we could talk in great detail about this, but I, I don't, I'm going to skip over a number of things and just tell you this. You have to have a system that's so efficient for you to live that when you eat a cheeseburger, it ends up amino acids, fatty acids, carbohydrates, vitamins, and minerals. And these molecular, these molecules, they're so small, have to be absorbed into the bloodstream. So you got, what, in a, what kind of a system could take a cheeseburger and break it down that far? Our digestive system does it every time we eat, and we don't fret about it. It involves things like in your, in your stomach, for instance, you, your stomach produces a half a gallon of hydrochloric acid every day. It's so powerful that if you poured some of it on this table, it would burn a hole through it, and it's digesting food. But the reason it doesn't hurt you is because you have a mucus lining on the inside of your stomach wall that protects you from that powerful acid, and that mucus stomach wall is replaced every two weeks of your life to keep it fresh and to keep you protected from that acid. Now, in this system, there's a lot more you could talk about, but I want to talk a little bit about the small intestine because the food's going to end up, once it's digested, it's going to end up in the small intestine, and that's where it's going to be absorbed, all these nutrients, vitamins, minerals, carbohydrates, fatty acids, and, um, and amino acids are going to be absorbed into the blood. Anytime we have this exchange with the blood, you need a lot of surface area. Remember what we saw in the lungs? All those sacs, by the way, I didn't tell you this, but those sacs, the alveoli sacs in your lungs, if you could lay them out flat, it'd be the size of a tennis court covered in blood vessels. So we need the same kind of thing here. And inside of your small intestine wall, we need a lot of surface area because now we've got to transfer through into the blood system all these new nutrients coming into the body. Well, the, the small intestine is 20 to 23 feet long. And with its diameter as it is, it would have an inner surface area of the inside of the wall of about six square feet. But God knew that's not near enough. And so he redesigned the small intestine so that instead of six square feet, the inside wall of your small intestine is 2,700 square feet. How could that be possible? How do you go from six square feet to 2,700? The inside of wall of your small intestine is covered with little fingers called villi, and they have all kinds of blood vessels in them and that for this absorbing process. But these villi, we have 20,000 of them per square inch in our body, in our, the inside of our small intestine. But that's not enough. So all around every one of the fingers are microvilli little hair-like structures. And this is what they tell us. It's estimated you and I have 130 billion microvilli per square inch on the inner wall of our small intestine. Does that look designed? You see, if all this stuff was accident, man, that was a powerful accident, wasn't it? The liver performs over 500 vital functions. It's got thousands of these processing plants called lobules. And it's, it's like if you could picture a conveyor belt 
with people that are working and, and they know exactly what they need to pick and all this stuff's coming down the conveyor belt. One person's picking apples out and one person's picking oranges out. This type of thing's happening in your liver, processing all the food that comes in the blood. And then I love, when I learned this, it, it just blew my mind because look at that structure there. That's called a nephron. It's a filtering plant. Those tubes and, and they're covered again with blood vessels and the blood is filtered 400 times a day through your kidneys, you have a million of those structures in each kidney. So all of these things that we happen, for instance, we think, well, I know the kidneys filter the blood and produce urine, but when you start looking, yeah, they do because they got a million of these things in them. These plants that are, each one of them is very meticulously designed, and God put a million of them in each kidney. Let's talk a little bit about the ear and the eye. God made, it says in Proverbs 20, verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made both of them. The human eye has over 10 million nerve cells interacting. And one researcher has said it would take supercomputers, they call them Cray computers, I'd never heard of that before, but some of you that are into computer stuff, you might know that name. Supercomputers, 100 years to simulate what happens every second in your eye. Now, I want to do a, a little experiment with you, because one of the things some people have criticized the eye, or as they say, the retina is backward. But actually, when you study it, you figure out why God did it that way, because you need lots of blood because the, the eye needs more blood than most parts of the body. And the blood is mostly found in the back of the eye, and that's why the retina is turned backward. But we do have a few blood vessels in front of our eye that we look through all the time. Our brain, though, is designed in such a way that you're looking right through blood vessels and you don't even know it because your brain just doesn't register that as long as they keep moving the same way the rest of your eyes moving. But we can overcome that for a moment as an experiment. If you will take, I want you to make as small a hole as you can, close one eye, either eye, and then put that small hole up to that and wiggle it real fast back and forth as you look at the white screen. Do you see blood vessels? You should see blood vessels. If you wiggle it real fast, you make a real small hole, and you up against that white screen. Once you've done it a couple of times, I see them really good. As soon as you kind of get the hang of it, it's they're, they're covering the front of your eye. But God designed it in a way that you don't notice them there all the time. Let's talk a little bit about the human ear. This is one of my favorite things. The whole thing of sound is amazing. Now, what's happening right now in this room as I speak is my vocal cords are vibrating when I talk. That whole thing's kind of amazing that the brain's able to tell the vocal cords how to vibrate in a certain way to make a sound, to, to pronounce a word. But that vibration, in this case, because I'm speaking into a microphone, is going into the speakers and there's little cones that are vibrating. But either way, it's just a vibration and it's causing air molecules like billiard balls to bounce around the room and bounce into one another until they hit your eardrum. And it creates a vibration on your eardrum. 
Then you have an inner ear or a middle ear with three bones in it, and the reason that's there is easy to understand. If you've ever been by a swimming pool and you tried to talk to somebody who's under the water and you notice sound doesn't carry, because there's a different impedance between air and water. So we needed a system because the inner ear is water or liquid, the outer ear is dealing with air, so the middle ear transforms that vibration, magnifies it about 120 times, and sends a signal into the liquid that can be utilized. In the inner ear, now get this, in your inner ear, you've got all these, in this liquid, you've got all these hair-like structures, longer ones for low frequencies, and shorter ones for high frequencies. The high frequency ones can move up to 20,000 times per second. That's why we call it 20,000 hertz. And this is what I just blew my mind. The way sound works is every one of those hairs has a spring attached to it. And when the hair moves, the spring goes back and forth and lifts, opens and closes a trap door underneath it. And when it opens the trap door, it releases ions that create electronic signals that then send those signals through the auditory nerve or canal and nerve up to the brain, and the brain has the ability to interpret that, those electronic signals and tell you what you're hearing. Now let's do a little experiment for a second. Everybody close your eyes, please. Just close your eyes for a moment, and I want you just to listen. Okay, keep listening. One more time. Okay, open your eyes. What was the first sound you heard? Somebody say it. Huh? Yeah, somebody beating on the, on the mantle up there. What was the second sound you heard? Huh? Somebody stomping their foot. What was the third sound? Do you know who it was that was clearing their throat? See, you're, isn't that amazing? You even could recognize who it was. Now, maybe part of it's because he's where he's sitting, but you knew it was Pastor Paul, not Pastor Mark. Just think about that for a second. We take this for granted. What kind of system can take molecules bouncing around in the room and interpret it to where we can tell if it's a person talking, a door opening, a dog barking, a person clearing their throat, somebody stomping their foot? And all it is is molecules moving in the room. We serve an awesome God. He is absolutely amazing. And then he put something else in the ear. He said, well, we might as well utilize this for another purpose, the vestibular system. These three little hook-like shapes, one's vertical, one's horizontal, and one's kind of halfway. They're filled with liquid, and they got little hair-like structures, but then they also got little stones in them. And when you move your head, gravity causes the stones to move around in there. And as the stones move around in there, they press on the little hair-like structures that sends a signal to the brain that says to the brain, 
He's just turned his head to the left, and so keeps you balanced. And that's why if you have an inner ear infection, you get out of balance. God put a balancing system in your ear. The human body is the most amazing machine in the whole universe. And yet this is what God says. We know that we have a tent, that if the tent that is our earthly home is, being, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Everything we've just been talking about, God says, well, it's just a tent. <laughs> I never designed that for eternity, at least the one, the fallen body that we're living in. But someday we're going to get a building. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Okay, let's move on to the microscopic world. Now, in the microscopic world, the first thing we're going to talk about is a bacteria. Now, the bacteria moves by this little tail that moves, and we'll show you a little video here. I'll describe it a little bit. So we're talking about something so small, you have to have a powerful microscope to see this thing at all. And the, the bacteria moves by that little tail, but now that we've been able to study it, scientists have found this is what that little tail looks like when you begin to magnify it. It's a rotary motor with 40 distinct parts that are all made by different proteins, a stator, a rotor, bushings, a, a propeller. It's a state-of-the-art rotary motor that's allowing a bacteria. It, that thing can go, I think it's 100,000 RPMs, and it can stop within a quarter of a turn and go the other way. It's so efficient. We see everywhere in the microscopic world, you start thinking things that should be real simple because they're so small, and they're not simple. They're extremely complex. Let's talk about the human cell. I like to call them 100 trillion reasons to believe in God. There's uh, manufacturing plants, power plants, communication systems, a postal service, uh, waste management systems. I, one report that I heard, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to get this verified, but I heard a report that there's 300 different systems working within the human cell. Note this by Dr. Michael Denton. He said, to grasp the reality of life as it has been revealed by the molecular biology, we must magnify a cell a thousand million times until it is 20 kilometers in diameter and resembles a giant airship large enough to cover a great city like London or New York. What we would then see would be an object of unparalleled complexity and adaptive design. We would find ourselves in a world of supreme technology and bewildering complexity. Just one of your cells. Another scientist, Dr. Linus Pauling, regarded by, by many as the greatest chemist of the 20th century, said, just one living cell in the human body is more complex than New York City. Pretty amazing. Within these cells are all these molecular machines. They're built by proteins, but they're more efficient than the machines that we build and put in factories, performing tasks within our cells. In the cell, we find what we call integrated or specified or ordered complexity. That means basically everything has to be right in its place. Here's an example of that. A 747 jet is, consists of about 5 million parts, but none of those parts will fly. Not a single one. The engine won't fly, the wings won't fly, the seats won't fly, the rivets won't fly, the wheels won't fly, 
But when you put all five million parts in the right order, the whole thing will fly. And that's the way the cells are in your body. None of, it, would, it would die, it would, wouldn't function at all unless you put all of the billions of parts together and then it functions. Here's one of the things the cell is doing. It takes a lot of energy for your body to, to exist. The way it works is basically you have rechargeable batteries. They're called ADP molecules when they're uncharged. They've lost their charge. That's DP stands for dual phosphate. They've lost a phosphate and they're no good until they recharge and then they become an ATP molecule. TP stands for triphosphate. The third phosphate's added back in and it's like you like at night you'll charge your cell phone up tonight probably and it'll be ready to go again tomorrow. Same way, that works in the body, only you need not one battery, but 100 trillion times about 10 million, I'll show you that in a moment, ATP molecules at any one time. And here's how they're, how they're uh, recharged. It's in the power plants of the cells called mitochondria. And the mitochondria are, have all these membrane folds. And in the membrane folds are rotary motors called ATP synthase rotary machines. They rotate at 1,000 RPMs. And with each rotation, they take in three ADP molecules and add a third phosphate and release them as ATP molecules. It's estimated that with this process, these rotary machines, your body is producing, on average, the 100 trillion cells, 10 million ATP energy molecules per second. That's going on inside of you right now. We'll go right here. That's fine, Brendan. We'll just go ahead and let that play. So what about protein production? That's happening in the cell. Here's how that works. So you, you, it starts in the nucleus of the cell where all the genetic information for the building of proteins takes, is that. So it, it, we need the information in a gene that has a start sign and a stop sign conveniently. A molecular machine unravels that and another molecular machine called an RNA polymerase interprets all that data and creates a new molecule with all that information called an RNA messenger molecule. So all the genetic information for the building of this particular protein is in that new molecule. It's released out of the nucleus of the cell into the outer portion of the cell where it's combined with another molecular machine called a ribosome. A ribosome is designed to interpret genetic information and to create a string of amino acids. Now the average human protein is 300 amino acids long. So you gotta get one out of 20 the right amino acids in place every time, 300 times in a row. So once this process is done in the ribosome, we have a string of amino acids, but it's still not a protein yet because it has to be folded properly. So now it's chaperoned across the cell into another molecular machine, a barrel-shaped organelle that's designed for folding proteins. So it goes in there and now inside the barrel-shaped organelle, it's folded properly, and if it's not folded properly, it won't be a protein, but it's folded properly, and it's released from there. We have now one new protein 
but we're really not done because we got to get that protein to the right place for the right use. So it's going to be chaperoned again across the cell to the next location, which is the post office, the Golgi apparatus. Inside the Golgi apparatus, this new protein will be placed in a package. Looks more like a sack probably than a box, but it's called a vesicle. Other proteins like it that are being formed at the same time will be put in the sack with it. And then it'll be marked on the outside of the sack. This is what kind of proteins are in here, and this is where they need to go. It's released out of the post office into the transportation system of the cell where motor proteins, little guys with two arms and two legs and a body called kinesin, they pick up the sacks of proteins, they walk on the highway system of the cell called microtubules, and they deliver the proteins in the proper place for use. On average, 2,000 times per second in each cell, 100 trillion cells, every second of your life. Right now, you've got hundreds of trillions of those little guys walking around inside of you. When I, when I look at this, I honestly, there's, I, my mind just, my emotions do different things to me. Sometimes I just feel so sorry for evolutionists. I, and I, what I mean by that is how anybody can be so blind to look at that. And, and, and that's just being honest, how you can look at that and say it looks like an, an explosion to me. And accidents, random processes, no intellect. There's nothing in the universe more complex and more wonderful than what's going on inside of our body that screams at us, there is a God. Well, let's talk just a little bit about this whole thing of proteins being produced. Proteins are the building blocks of life. I already told you 2,000 times 100 trillion times per second, so you need a lot of them. This has got to be happening all the time. So for a protein to be produced, um, it, it's a you've got to create this string of amino acids. Now, to illustrate how impossible this could be to, for it to happen by accident, if you could imagine with me a huge pile of Scrabble pieces up on the stage, equal number of letters of every letter, and there's, there's random, uh, this huge pile, and we're going to randomly begin to select letters and try to spell this word, chance. Well, the chances are pretty easy to figure out. 1 in 26 chance of getting a C, then 1 in 26 chance of getting an H. So you would figure it this way. It'd be 26 times 26 times 26 times 26 times 26 times 26. So the chances of randomly picking the word chance are 1 in 308,915,776 times. Okay. What if we were trying to spell this randomly? 280 letters. You see where I'm going? It's impossible. You could spend billions of years doing this and you would never, ever get it. It's impossible. Well, that's the way it is trying to get proteins by accident. A simple protein of only 150 amino acids, which would be small, the chances are 1 in 10 to the 164th power. How big is that number? the estimated number of atoms in the whole universe is 10 to the 80th power. So when you first look at that, you might be tempted to say, oh, so it's about twice that many. No, no, no. 10 to the 80th power, multiply it by 10. Now you've got 10 to the 81st power. 
Multiply it by 10. Again, you got 10 to the 82nd power. 10 to the 164th power. You get the drift? <laughs> and we're not done yet because the average human protein isn't 150 amino acids long. It's 300 amino acids long. Hemoglobin's 519. And we have tens of thousands of different kinds of proteins. It's impossible for it to be accident. It can't be accident. It is designed. There is a God who created us and made us in his image. And all of this, underneath all of this, is DNA. The blueprint, the instructions for the building. Before I get into the information part of it, just think of this. If you could stretch all your DNA in one of your cells out, in the nucleus of a cell, it would stretch six foot long. You'd say, well, that's, that's not that much, six foot. But remember how tiny this thing is. It would be equivalent to taking 125 miles of fishing line and putting it in a basketball and not getting it tangled. Just the, just the folding process of DNA is a miracle that God has produced within our bodies. And it's like a computer software program. Uh, Bill Gates has said it's like a computer software program, only way more sophisticated than anything humans have ever designed. It's usable, coded information. So much that the, uh, enough with one of your cells to fill books, 500 to 1,000 books, 500 pages. So if you multiply that by 100 trillion, you'd fill up enough books to fill the Grand Canyon with just the coded information inside of your body. Coded information always points to a source of intelligence. Some of you are going to remember this illustration I did when I was here a year ago. I do this everywhere I go. I did it this morning in the high school, but I think it illustrates it so well. If you and I are walking on the seashore and we look down and we see in the sand, I love you. There's eight letters, three words. But it's enough coded information that every human being on the face of the earth who saw that would agree. Somebody's been here. Somebody wrote that. That's not the result of waves randomly pushing sand particles around. Somebody wrote that in the sand. We know when we see coded information, intelligence is behind it. And your body is packed with coded information, determining what color your eyes will be, how tall you'll be, and the functioning of every moment of your life. Proteins being produced by coded information systems that are working. And we live in a world that is so fallen. All through our nation, schools are telling kids, none of this is true. No God. No intelligence. No purpose. No design. shows the condition of the human heart. It's really not an evidence thing. It's a hardness of heart thing. But because those voices are so loud and so 
prevalent in our culture. You and I need to equip ourselves somewhat to be able to say, look, don't try to tell me there is no God. I'd love to talk with you about all of the evidences that confirm there is a God. And He's an awesome God. And He loves us. This, this awesome God who created all of this entered our world. Came to us. Let us spit on him and mock him and beat him and nail him to a cross so that he could know us and we could know him. Sometime when you're just thinking about stuff happening in your body, your heart beating, your eyes blinking, you close your ears and you listen to the sounds. I hear the fan from the projector running right now. Take a moment and just say, God, thank you. Life is awesome. You are awesome. I'm experiencing a miracle every moment of my life. And I will give you praise. I will worship you, for you are worthy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all you've done to give us evidence that confirms that we were knit together in our mother's womb, fashioned and made in your likeness. And you say these bodies are only tents. And that someday we're going to have a redeemed body. And we shall be like you, for we shall see you as you are, First John says. We're in awe of you, Lord. We are in awe of you. You are amazing. Help us to never fail to praise you and to give you thanks for life and for everything that happens inside of us without us even having to worry about it. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Rick. In, in Mark chapter 12, the story's told Jesus is, they're trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to mess him up. And, and uh, they've come to him and they've posed this issue of uh, if a man is married to a woman and he dies, the Levite law is, is that uh, uh, the wife should have children with the brother, get married to the brother, and that way it pretend, and that child would be really the son of the first husband and would inherit his properties and his things. And there's a lot of reasons why they didn't like that law. Uh, but in this particular case, they go through seven renditions of it. And then they say, they all die. None of, and he said, has a child by name. Who's, whose wife is she in heaven? And Jesus' immediate response is this. Uh, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. 
Think about that. You know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. There's two things you got to know, the scriptures and the power of God. When I listen to something like this tonight, it begins to stir in me a realization of the greatness and the power of God, how much smarter than us he really is. And it also stirs faith that if somebody is sick or if somebody has a need, that if we pray for him the way God tells us to, that God can, in his will, heal them. Amen? It stirs us in that faith. And so uh, I just want to encourage you to think about this. And as you think about it, think about what Scripture says and think about the power of God to do all this. Wow. It's, it's just, it's just mind-blowing. And uh, I don't think we'll completely understand that if we ever do until we get to heaven to draw people. Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words Rick has shared with us tonight. I pray that in every one of us, our understanding of how great you are when we think of these trillions, trillions of things that you've created within us, the complexity of them. Lord, we, we, we begin to have a little bit of a understanding, a small touch of understanding of your greatness and that you love us and that you care about us. Wow. We're grateful for that. We should lift our hands and praise you and worship you every day because you created us, gave us life, and in spite of all of our failings, you love us. Now help us, Lord, this week and next week to reach out and to call other people, to build relationships with people that will lead them to you. Help us do that. Give us wisdom to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.